Welcome to Can They Do That? brought to you by Scott Law Team, the employment law firm. We are excited to discuss recent employment issues and events that affect your everyday life. Keep in mind this podcast is educational and is not a substitute for legal advice or professional consultation. If you need help, you can reach us at scottlawteam.com. I'm Corey Sabin, joined by Kathleen Scott. How are you, Kathleen? Good to see you. I'm great. Great to see you. You know, today I want to jump into a topic that is so commonplace in the workplace. And as an employer, you have that one or two employees that it's like, man, how do I handle those one or two employees that seem to bully other employees or, or are accused of harassment? Yeah, so that is a popular topic. And, you know, interestingly enough, it's an important topic because here's a statistic for you. The most common thing an employer will be sued for, retaliation. And retaliation Mm. is what happens after an employee complains if an angry employer has some type of retribution or disciplines them or terminates them. So it's a really important topic. And so for all those employers who are listening, please hear this. If an employee comes to you with a complaint, a big complaint, a small complaint, the knee-jerk response you should have is, Thank you for bringing that to my attention. Not, what are you doing here complaining again? That would be a don't. (laughs) (laughs) So after you go to thank you for bringing it to my attention, what should happen next? So then you have to make a determination whether it's a serious complaint or just a general kind of workplace gripe. General gripes can be dealt with by sitting the employee down, listening, giving them an empathetic ear, and then offer them some kind of strategy session, right? Like a gripe might be, you know, so-and-so is always 10 minutes late and I'm 10 minutes early. I don't think that's fair. And so that's not the kind of serious complaint that we would want to escalate to the next level. A more serious concern would be something like mm, an employee is being mistreated and they feel like it might be motivated by a protected characteristic age, race, gender, pregnancy, disability, those types of things. That is the equivalent of a red flag. Um, And once it's waved, the employer needs to kind of hit the pause button and then escalate that complaint to the next level. Well, what if there's hypothetically an employee that comes to the boss and says, well, I don't like the way uh, my manager talks to me at times. He's very aggressive and wants to get work done too quickly. And I don't, I'm not comfortable at that pace. Well, taking my own advice, I'll thank you for bringing the concern to my attention and then quickly document what the complaint is. Uh, One thing that we found uh, is that employees, their complaints can evolve and their memories can evolve. So from the employer perspective, if you don't document exactly what the complaint is in the present sense, it can grow and and get legs. So it's important to thank the employee and then get some substance, put some meat on the bone, right? Well, tell me what happened. When was this? Get the detail. Listen to the employee. So if I had to give a a step-by-step flow chart, step one is thank you. Step two is listen and document. And listen and document the concerns of the employee. And then we can decide how serious it is. If it's a one-time incident and and it falls into the category of, I don't like it, as opposed to they're coming on to me sexually, or this is racially based, then I think how we deal with those are different, right? If it's just a general employee respect issue, um, then we want to sit down with both sides, talk it out, try to do the kumbaya meeting, Mm -hmm. right, with the two employees. If it's something more than that, it deserves a little bit more than that. So let's start with harassment. Right. Let's define it. What is it and what is it not? Very smart question. So let's say that this table that we're sitting here at is the universe of all the types of complaints an employee can make about harassment. Okay. My little water glass would be an example of the ones that would fall in here would be actionable from a legal standpoint. 
And so everybody uses that word harassment to be, they're harassing me, meaning they don't like how they're treating you. But only complaints here in the state of Florida that are based on either age, race, sex, gender, pregnancy, another protected category, sexual orientation, only those complaints fall into the harassment category. So let me just really put a finer point on this because it's such an important question. If I use profanity at an employee, hey, you blank, I don't like the way you look today. That's not harassment. But if I say, you know what, Corey, we only work with women here and you just don't meet the bill. That's an example of a gender comment, right? And that's a very important distinction. So in the state of Florida, you can use profanity. You can be mean. Your boss can be an absolute jerk. But unless it rises to the level of being based on gender, age, race, sex, or something to that level, it's not going to be actionable harassment. What about an off-color joke? Depends on the basis of the off-color joke. If it's an off-color joke that, you know, I'll give you an example of a real-life case. Somebody was offended that um, a dog was urinating on a picture of the president and the caption underneath it read, see, even dogs can read or something like that. So it was offensive based on political affiliation. That's not a protected category. So that would not be considered to be a type of harassment. So harassment falls into that little cup over there. The complaint happens. The employer says, thank you. Then they listen and document. When does an investigation happen? So workplace investigation should happen if the employer feels as though the complaint could be more than just a single incident. So we have like, you know, a serial harasser in the workplace or if it rises to the level of being based on a protected characteristic. I'd also say it would be a good idea to do if it really went contrary to the firm's core values or the company's core values. And so if it's a respect issue and it might happen to more than one employee, there's no magic formula for when to do a workplace investigation. Um, I would also say that the higher level of employee that's being accused might warrant a workplace investigation because, right, if you have like a high-level supervisor or an investigator, they have access to a lot of employees. They're managing a lot of people. And so a a small issue with someone at that level might be more significant than, say, a one-off comment by a coworker to another coworker. So there's two things I've said there. One is look at who is being complained about. And if they have access to supervising a lot of people, a workplace investigation could kind of stamp that out early on, as opposed to kind of like employee versus employee, just not getting along kind of thing. What's the goal of that investigation? So um, the goal of the investigation is to give an understanding as to what the complaint's about and then to interview it now. So we, our firm, we do workplace investigations. We act as a neutral. We don't, it's not outcome oriented. It's not, we're not human resources. We're not getting paid by the employer for that, right? We're being hired to be a neutral, to go in and say, you go to the complaining party first, you document their concerns, and then you go wherever it takes you. It's like a law and order episode. Mm-hmm. You know, it might start off as being, hey, general manager so-and-so is accused of making an off-color joke. But by the time we get to the end of it, it's the chef who's a real jerk and has really had a policy of harassing all of its coworkers, all of its employees and coworkers. So it's the idea is to be a neutral, to go where the evidence takes you, and then to do a report and make recommendations. It's interesting. You said HR. There's so many small companies out there that don't even have an HR department. So if in a case were to come up where there's alleged harassment— and there's no HR, and it's one owner making a claim against another, what do you do? So that this is a great idea is to have an outside third party do a workplace investigation because, one, the, that sends the message that the company is serious about making sure employees have a great place to work. And that's got to be, that is the company line, right? That is what the most important thing a, a company can provide, a great, safe place to work that's free from harassment. So hiring an outside third party, that checks that box. Um, and also, when you don't have HR to do that, the third-party company can take care of that role for you. And what if you feel you were accused falsely? So Which I, happens quite a bit, I would assume. So in this day and age, you, 
there's a time when a female employee can say, harassment, and the whole world stops, and the, the world's not spinning on its axis anymore, and everyone's <laughs> yelling, me too, and harassment, and fire them, and sexual harassment. And so, but I think it's important to say out loud that men have rights too. People who are accused of harassment, it's not always male versus female or female versus, sometimes it could be same sex, right? It could be female versus female. So all I'm saying is the person being accused has every right as the person who's making the accused. And I think one beautiful um, property of having a third-party neutral workplace investigation is we don't have any alliance to either party. We don't know their employment history necessary. We don't know, you know, who the who the little gem of the office is. We come in neutral. We do the investigation. And what my promise I make to everyone who's made a complaint is, look, I'm going to give you my honest, honest investigation skills here. And if it turns out that somebody's lying— uh, that will be part of my findings too. If it turns out that there's a false allegation and there's motive behind that, that's going to be in my findings too. And so we promise the accused to please speak openly with us because if somebody has been falsely accused, that's a workplace violation just the same. You know, in this day and age, you mentioned Me Too, some employers might think that we're too woke right now, that common term. Everybody's too sensitive. What are your thoughts on that and what guidance would you give an employer? I think that that is a fair comment. And I think hmm. that employees do have a little bit of empowerment on this topic right now. And that's probably a good thing because I think when the pendulum in the past has swung so far in favor of the employer that employees were afraid to reach out and speak out. And so when awareness comes, now more employees are less afraid to speak out. And that's a good thing. But we want to make sure that that pendulum doesn't fall too much the other direction so that any complaint now is a basis to terminate someone even without any proof. So it's a, it's a hard issue for an employer, but I think one thing that you can do to level the playing field, so to speak, is to do an investigation. So there isn't any wrong time to do an investigation because if you look into it and it can't be substantiated, you've looked into it, you've had empathy for the person who complained. At the same time, you've given the protection to the person who's being complained about because you've tried to substantiate it. And if you can't, at, at the end of the day, one thing you can always do is some type of sensitivity training, which is super mm. popular right now. So what does sensitivity training look like? So it's usually designed, when we do sensitivity training, it's designed to meet the moment of the employer. And so if you're, you know, not all employers are the same, right? If you work in a restaurant, for example, that's a little bit more of a touchy-feely active workplace where, you know, there's people behind the bar who are trying to sell drinks and they might dress up, look nice, you know, have a little bit of a flirtatious attitude. That's a different type of sensitivity training than, say, an office setting where somebody is, you know, acting inappropriately. So we, we really want to address the particular type of workplace setting and get some general goals goals and ideas about what, what kinds of things are inappropriate. So maybe saying, hey, love, behind the bar, that might be not offensive, right, in the setting where you're servicing customers and making drinks for them and dressing up and looking cute. That might be more appropriate as opposed to in a workplace uh, where there's maybe a law firm, you wouldn't want to call your coworker that or say sweetie or, or communicate in that basis. So, But that's also interesting because it's generational. I was having lunch with a gentleman in his 70s. Uh, and he was at the restaurant. He said to the, the waitress several times, hey, sweetheart, love, dear. And I was saying to him, I was like, I don't think you should be speaking like that right now. And he said, I mean nothing of it. So if that were to happen in the workplace, what type of recourse does an employee have if that person says, well, that's just how it was and how I've been brought up and you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Yeah, I you know, that's a stubborn behavior. That's a stubborn attitude. And I do think that... Um but I understand that he might not mean anything by it in that example. But at the same time in the workplace, 
We want people to thrive and be productive and ultimately make money for their employer. And the best way you can do that is to have a workplace that people don't have to ever feel like someone's being condescending or belittling them or treating them differently. Um, And so what I might suggest is it costs nothing to just change a small behavior, right? It's such a minor thing to ask of an employer to just tell your employees, please don't, don't call your workplace. Don't call them sweetie. That's easy. It's free. And if that causes an employee to be more productive, what's wrong with that, right? Nothing. But if one of your core values is fun, Mm. everybody's got a different definition of fun. So the person at the water cooler or joking around saying, hey, you look hot today is to another colleague. That could be harassment, whereas fun is the other person telling the jokes and, you know, repeating what they hear on the late night talk shows. It could be. I mean, the the challenge is, is in a, it does depend on the workplace, right? So if you're in a workplace where you look around and every member of management is a male and every member of the team is female, then it may not be okay for the older male gentleman to be making comments like that. Because why? Because in that particular workplace, there's no path. It looks like there's a, you know, there's a disparity, right, between women and management. Now, in a workplace where women are in management, there is no diversity issue. It might be funny. That might be funny. But it isn't so funny in a place where no one looks like you in management. (laughs) So I do think that, so I think there's a a little, just to put a finer point on that, it's, it's workplace dependent. And then you mentioned sex earlier about sexual orientation. What accommodations, if any, need to be made for someone who is uh, discovering their identity? So now sexual identity and sexual orientation are a protected category. Florida, in its fashion, was one of the last states in the country to adopt that rule, but it is both federally recognized and recognized under state law now. So that's a big moment for, for anyone who is going through that transitional period. Um, and so workers do have a right. So this is a tough question. Mm-hmm. This is a very hard issue. Should they have a separate bathroom? This is the question. And so, um, it, you know, some pl- some workplaces only have one restroom. Mm-hmm. So th- that actually makes it a little easier because then you just make it unisex and then you kind of solve the issue. Sure. So what we typically recommend to our employers out there is to have at least one restroom that is unisex and make sure it has all the right symbols on it so everyone knows that it's unisex. That usually solves the problem. What are those symbols, by the way? Gosh, Corey, that's a that's a tough question. I I can show you a picture of one, well, but it but, just shows you male, female, and then okay. it's like a basic nondescript kind of stick figure. And what if you have a uh, employee that wants to be addressed by their pronoun, and that pronoun happens to be they, because they're pansexual? There's no specific case on the pronoun issue, um, but I would just go back to the respect issue. And I think if you're an employee who finds yourself in this situation. Let's all take a breath, right? And let's start with the premise that no one's intentionally probably trying to out you or hurt your feelings. Let's start with that, right? Okay. I think when we start to attribute negative motives because someone's not using a pronoun, that that may not, that might be a starting kind of with goggles on, feeling like the world's out to hurt you or discriminate against you. Unless there's some basis for feeling that way, I would say to the employee, look, take a breath. If you have a preferred pronoun, no problem. Just share that. Share it in a positive way that is educational, that is, you know, if it's possible, I would prefer to be referred to as this and explain that and explain why. Um, If you're the employer, okay, so maybe that's not how you grew up. Okay, so maybe that's different. And that is asking you to step outside your comfort zone. But again, respect costs nothing, right? So if it's simple to just change a pronoun and you do your best, yes, you're going to make mistakes because maybe your common vernacular didn't include they or we or um, that. So that that's hard, but it's not impossible, right? So I think we kind of just need to take a balanced approach. <laughs> well, you said respect costs nothing, and I find that intriguing. And if you're an employee that's listening and they want to go back to their boss 
and suggest them to be proactive because perhaps they're a baby boomer or older and they're not used to some of these new terms. Right. What do you suggest? So I suggest sensitivity training and not in a formal way, but just education, right? Just share. Short workshop? Short workshop, explaining a personal experience, what it's like, trying to help someone identify with you so they understand what you're going through so you can, and, but also you can kind of identify from their perspective, you know, that they've never heard of such a thing before. And so it's not, and, and start from a position where it's not, just because you don't agree doesn't mean that you have to be disagreeable about it, right? Mm-hmm. You can try to find that common ground. Now, an employer, you do have some risk. So employers should be wise about the way they ask for it because I think you get more from sugar, right? <laughs> catch what's the saying? You catch more bees with honey. Sure. So if you can positively ask for what it is that you need and, and back it up in a polite way, um, that's a good idea. You may also be raising your and elevating your legal position because if you're being referred to in the workplace in a way that's inappropriate and you complain about it, well, that complaint gives you some, does elevate your legal position too. So basics, an employer should have what? The handbook? And what else? And what should that handbook look like? Well, your handbook is good, but it's only <laughs> as good as it's enforced. So you're, you need a handbook, but you also need your, your supervisors and your management team to know how to receive a complaint. So here's a bad example of what not to do, right? A good example of what not to do, I should say. An employee comes to you and says, I've just gone through a transition period. I'd like to be referred to as he now. And the manager goes, what the? I can't do that. Okay, now that's that's not a very good response. Sure. So you want to have those. You want to like prepare your managers for the for things that might happen and and do that knee jerk response that we talked about. Thank them, you know, document the concern, and then try to make sure that we're using respect as a core value to try to adjust your policies to meet the moment for that employee. It doesn't mean that you have to create a new policy for every employment situation. It just means that you want to take a moment, take a breath, evaluate the situation, and see what can be done. Small changes go a long way. What I mean by that is if an employer, if an employee is complaining about, hey, my manager treats me terribly, well, maybe there's another position for them. Maybe we don't need to teach the manager how to behave. That'd be great. My experience is you probably can't change beliefs too often right? You can change behaviors a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, but maybe there's another opportunity. Be creative, be solution-oriented. So if you're solution-oriented, you have the sensitivity training, and now you have these employees that may have a disagreement and one says something on the internal network, if Mm -hmm. you will, maybe they're using Slack or some sort of messenger, and the employee wants to use it, who owns the communication? So anything that's developed in the workplace is owned by the employer. So he doesn't have to share it or she doesn't have to share it if they choose not to. Is that correct? Well, so there's no employee privacy rights. So if the employer has access to that, they that's, they can look at it, they can read it. So it's important to say that out loud. There is no expectation of privacy in the state of Florida in your workplace. So the idea that you're sending a private, so-called private message, that doesn't exist. If you're sending it either via the company's Wi-Fi or on the company's internet, through their internet system, through their email system, or any other type of um, digital communication, that's not private. And so you've basically waived rights to that. So you uncovered it covered from the employer's point of view. Yeah. Thank you. Listen, document, training. From the employee's point of view, what are three or four things that they should know? Right. So um, I would say from an employee standpoint, does your employer know what your goals are. So let's say you're, you know, trying to advance in the company, the company's management is predominantly a different gender or different skin color than you, and you would like to advance, and you're concerned that maybe that's holding you back. But you don't know, because you never really know, right? How do you Mm -hmm. know what's in someone's mind? So one thing to do is just make sure you've articulated what your goals are. I'd like to be advanced. Tell me what I can do. There's a right and wrong way to ask for advancement in a company. Uh, If I say, hey, Corey, you know, I've worked for you for 20 years. 
what the heck? When am I going to get promoted? That's not the right way to ask for for, for promotion, right? Um, the right way to do it is to say something like this. So, Mr. Saban, I've been here 20 years. Let me show you the value that I've added to the company. Let me show you what I've earned for the company. I think I'm ready for the next step. What do you think? And if you don't think I'm ready, what can I do to get there? So asking that question, that puts the onus on the employer to help you set a plan. So set a 90-day plan, set a one-year plan, ask for what you need to do to get to that next level. If you don't get it and you watch somebody else who's a different gender or different skin color or different religion pass you over, then you now, now you're scratching your head, right? Mm-hmm. And so that becomes a, a situation for the employee where you might want to consult an attorney or you may want to document that concern in writing to the company's HR department if they have one. Besides the situations that we discussed in outline, what are some other things that employers should be aware of that employees might bring up? So an employee is likely to challenge wages. And so we want to make sure we hear the word systemic. It's used so often, mm-hmm. systemic racism, systemic discrimination. And and so I think it's, you know, people need to understand what that really means. It doesn't mean that in every workplace, people of color or women are paid less than men, but in some places they are. And it usually has a historical reason, right? And that's because sometimes the company doesn't have infrastructure where they don't come in and look at and evaluate regularly the pay. Maybe they brought in their best friend to manage the company and they brought them in at what they thought was fair. They didn't really use a metric. They didn't look at it on the internet. They didn't figure out, well, what's the average salary for this type of position? So employers are going to hear complaints about money. How common is that, right? Everyone wants to make more money when they're at work. So an employer needs to be well-suited to deal with those complaints. And employees need to have the patience to ask the question because they they shouldn't assume that they know people are paid more than them. They have to ask the question. And then the more important question is, what can I do to position myself to make more? If they feel like they're being paid less, then they can go the next step and file a complaint. And I know this will probably be a topic for another podcast, but with COVID, what happens then if there's, uh, I don't want to get vaccinated, I don't want to wear a mask, or I want to work from home? How does an employer handle that if there's nothing along those lines in their handbook? Because who can prepare for a pandemic? So, yeah, this is an evolving area and it is going to be the topic of another podcast, but I'll give you a sneak peek. In the state of Florida, an employer can set its own workplace. It can say mandatory vaccines or no mandatory vaccines. If the employer says vaccines are going to be mandated, they're going to have to follow a certain number of exemptions. They're going to have to allow religious, medical, mask wearing as as an exemption or PPE as an exemption. If they decide no vaccines, that's fine too. So remote work doesn't really fall in neatly to either of those two categories. Mm -hmm. So that just becomes a question of why is the employee asking for remote work? Do they suffer from a medical condition that requires them to work remotely? Does a doctor support that? If so, then the employer would have to look at whether they need to accommodate that or not. Um, so those are, those are kind of like, those are changing issues all the time. If you had asked me that question a few weeks ago, I would have had a different answer, but the state of Florida, as you might know, it's changing all the time. Well, the do's and don'ts of employee complaints. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you so much for joining. Can they do that? I want to give a special thanks to our special host, Corey Sabin. Thank you, Corey, for joining us and asking all the right questions. For everything employment law related, please visit us on our next episode or in the meantime, at our website at scottlawteam.com. Until then.